Hey, welcome to episode 48. As always, I want to thank you for hitting that little arrow that points to the right to have a listen to my ramblings about all things movie-related, past, present, and future. If you've been listening to this show for however long, then thanks very many for coming back. And if you're a first-time listener, then welcome. My name is Frank, and this is Silver Screeners. It's mid-April as of this recording, and the summer blockbuster season is not too far down the road. I'm especially looking forward to Jurassic World Dominion with its promise of bringing Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum all together again for the first time since the 1993 original. Fingers crossed that it'll deliver and not have us thinking, well, we drew the short straw on that one. I don't want to get too much into my thoughts on the rebooted Jurassic World films just yet, but when I went to go see Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom back in 2018, I think there were only maybe two other people in the theater, and one of them brought a frisbee. Anywho, in this episode, two special guests will be joining me to talk about both the 1984 and the 2021 film versions of Frank Herbert's 1965 sci-fi book, Dune. Depending on your personal tastes, you may look back at the 1984 version with nostalgia, or maybe with a tear. Maybe the 2021 rendition was one honking miasma of disappointment to you, or maybe you were blown away by it and left the theater with wings on your feet. Either way, that's what Liz, Greg, and I will talk about in just a few moments. Last year's Dune, directed by Denis Villeneuve, and the original 1984 one, directed by David Lynch. And if you're under the age of 30 and thinking to yourself, 1984, watch a movie that old? No! Then take note, as actress Lauren Bacall once wisely put out there, it's not an old movie if you haven't seen it. And just to give you the bare-bones plot premise of the story of Dune, the year is 10,191. Out in space, there's a planet called Arrakis. It's a desert planet that's an early version of what Tatooine eventually became in Star Wars, only with a lot more sand, a lot more heat, and a special substance known as the spice rolling over the hills in the air. The spice is wicked valuable, it expands consciousness, it allows for interstellar travel, but instead of reaping the benefits of what the planet has to offer, the oppressed people of Arrakis, called the Fremen, have for over 80 years been at the mercy of the evil Harkonnens, who control spice production and, in the process, become even richer than the galactic emperor Shaddam IV himself. The Harkonnens exploit Arrakis, and not even the warriors of Arrakis could defeat them. Finally, the emperor got sore, told the Harkonnens, take your equipment, get the hell out of here. So they go. But who, our lovely opening narrator wonders, will our next oppressors be? Here now is the planet of Caladan, the home of the House of Atreides. We meet Paul Atreides, played by Kyle MacLachlan in 1984, and Timothée Chalamet in 2021. Different entrances. In 1984, MacLachlan is sitting and playing with this big Game Boy device that gives him a glimpse at the different planets in space to check on the latest happenings. But in 2021, we get Chalamet buck naked in his bed. So depending on your taste in men listeners, this will catapult you towards one version or the other. Paul's mother is Lady Jessica, Francesca Annis in 1984, Rebecca Ferguson in 2021. Lady Jessica is a concubine of Paul's father, who is the Duke Leto Atreides, Jorgen Prochnow in 1984, and Oscar Isaac in 2021. Lady Jessica is secretly training her son the skills of the Bene Gesserit, which gets the Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohayim going, no, 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 flag in the play. Meanwhile, Daddy Duke is ready to go to Arrakis with Duncan Idaho, Richard Jordan in 1984, Jason Momoa in 2021. Paul wants to go with them. He tells Duncan that he has been having visions, dreams about Arrakis and the Fremen, and that he saw his father with the Fremen, lying dead, fallen in battle, and that had Paul been there, Duncan would be alive. 
In true movie fashion, Duncan dismisses the warning, saying, yeah, whatevs. You have sword fights, where they become this hybrid of a Star Wars force ghost and little Carol Ann in front of the TV and poltergeist. You have deadly sandworms, poisonous needles perilously close to the side of the neck, magic boxes, the character Shani, played by Zendaya, with a headset mic through her nose, a mother convinced her son is the Messiah, a side shot of Oscar Isaac in the buff. You even have bagpipers on Arrakis in the House of Atreides, making its grand entrance. And if you watch with the subtitles on, you have great captions like, Dramatic Lamentation Music Plays. 2021's Dune brought in an impressive haul at the Oscars, getting six. Cinematography, editing, score, visual effects, production design, and sound. Arguably, the film wouldn't have a snowball's chance in hell to be the feast for the eyes and ears that it is without the talent behind those technical achievements, so good on them. But before I extol the merits of the 2021 Dune too much on my own and geek out over the upcoming sequel and my hope that Denis Villeneuve will Peter Jackson his way to a Best Director gong at the Oscars, let me bring on Liz and Greg. So who the hell are they, you may be wondering. We are the three who married into my wife's family. Greg married my sister-in-law, Liz married my brother-in-law, I married my wife, and that's a lot of wedding cake. The three of us grabbed dinner and drinks and then went to go see Dune together in theaters back in November when it first came out, and as we were shooting the shit before the movie, I said to them, hey, you, and you, and me, podcast episode on Dune, what do you think? And here we are, five months later, doing just that. Our talk is pre-recorded, so once it wraps up, stick around, because there'll be a little bit more. I have the results of the weekly polls that I put out there on my socials, as well as the trivia question segment and listener shoutouts. And, of course, this week's trivia question. All of that's coming your way, but before this goes any further, I should issue a spoiler alert for anyone listening. We're going to be talking about both film versions of Dune, so if you haven't seen them yet but plan to, you might want to watch them first, but then of course come back here, because who doesn't want a good sense of closure for things to come full circle, right? So let's bring Liz and Greg on. Liz, Greg, get over here. I have been looking forward to this for five months. Five long <laughs> months. How are you guys doing tonight? Wonderful, Frank. How are you? Yeah, excellent. And I also have been looking forward to this. So let's talk about this shit. So, okay. I have not (laughs) read the book. You both have. So I really need to hear from you guys. First of all, does either film version measure up to the book? Well, does any movie really measure up to the book? I mean, that's a, you know, the, where the movie is, I, I can think of maybe a couple that are better than the book. And even then there's so much detail that you can put into it in, in rewatching the latest version of Dune. They do a much better draw a job trying to incorporate the details that you're reading with the visual aspects of the movie. Liz, I don't know if that sounds right to you with the little things yeah. that on in the background that if you watch it on the second, third or fourth rewatching, you can pick up the bullfighter in the beginning that if you haven't read the book, it doesn't mean anything, mm-hmm. but that's, yep. you know, the, the, the whole bullfighting uh, motif in house Atreides is a little detail liz hop on um i'm just trying to think i'm looking for my notes right now so if you can think of any other yeah yeah i mean that i mean it was a little while ago that i read the book i mean it was when i was in my we'll say my current decade so i it wasn't that long ago um that i read it but i think that the one of the big differences for me with the two movies where i would say actually the original one i i wouldn't say that it's following the story better necessarily but the one from 1984 explained more about the story. It seemed like there was so much of it where the people had inner dialogue that they were communicating. And so that kind of helped, I feel like, explain more of the background and why they were doing things. 
new version has a lot of those subtle things. The, the, is it, what's, how do you pronounce the director's name from the new one, Frank Dennis? Denis Villeneuve. Yes, Denis, okay. He's Villeneuve. a very visual filmmaker. If you look at the only other movie that I'm familiar with that he does is Blade Runner 2047. And that movie is just, it's eye candy and you kind of have to, it, his movies are best seen in IMAX. So he's, Liz, to your point, he's not going to, he's going to put a lot of visual information involved and kind yeah. of let you figure it out as you go, which he did with this movie. And that's one way to approach it in that there's so much going on, you're going to have to figure it out for yourself. Um, yeah. Does that sound right? And I agree wholeheartedly with you that the 84 version, David Lynch's version, tries to stuff as much sub uh, subtext with yes. inner thoughts and what's going on and with the trying to tell you everything that's going, you know, they try to stuff in the first two minutes, everything that's going on with galactic politics and how we've gotten down into this. And they kind of try to go that route and try to make it a Hollywood blockbuster. And this movie deals a lot more with themes. I, I've in rewatching it in, mm -hmm. in, in watching it in that, you know, there's the good versus bad motif, uh, but there's a lot of other things going on in there, like fathers and sons, you know, you know, family uh, being a very strong motif um, yeah. Yeah. that's running throughout the whole movie. And the other one that I, I, you pick up on is if you've read the book is what is your destiny? What are you, are you predestined to this? Are you, you know, do you have free choice? Do you have free will or do you become what you're supposed to be? Um, and in the book, they get into a little more of the background spoiler alert is that the Benny Gesserit who are like the, it's the best way to describe them was like they're the, the witch, the, the, like they're, yeah. they're witches, nuns. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. They're like a religious sect that yeah. has, you know, true like magical gifts. And they do. And basically the whole premise is, okay. So just to get into this a little bit, one of the commandments in the book is it, they say thou shall not make a machine as a copy of a man, a copy of a mind, because mm -hmm. At the beginning, way back when the, the, the man went to outer space, thinking computers enslaved all of mankind. So they immediately said, well, nobody's ever going to make a computer ever again. And if we're going to do anything, we're going to have to evolve the human race to become these perfect people, these Quizox Hotterocks. So the Bene Gesserit has been going through thousands and thousands of years trying to come up with the bloodlines to, to create this perfect, cre the, to create the perfect, the ultimate being. And they... And that's kind of what they've been doing throughout the whole time. And they plant these little on each planet. They in the background as part of the religion. They plant these stories so that the the Messiah, when he comes, will be recognized. And they do this on Arrakis, which is why when the Atreides land on the planet, and they're like, oh, there he is. There he is. There's that's he. It was predestined that he was. So they all get this religious fervor about it. And so it, was it his destiny to, to go to Arrakis and free that or was he always slotted in to do that and he had no choice and he's caught up in it right and that was that was similar between the book and the movie I feel yeah. like right from what again it's been a little while I don't remember a lot of the details of the book but I do feel like there was there were those underlying like themes or messages yeah he's they're not the movie is very very subtle it, it, on one level it's a it's a it, they're trying to make it a blockbuster with cinematic appeal but they did a very good job of layering everything going on from the book that one you can read it but in this movie you're going to have to try to feel it and see it uh when it comes out mm -hmm. if this if that makes any sense 
No, totally. It does. Um, no, there's a lot to think about. I, I do want to read the book. I, like I said, I just haven't haven't had the chance to get to it yet. I already said in the intro that the three of us saw the 2021 Dune together in November. When was the first time, though, that you saw the David Lynch one? Like, how old were you? And was it in the theater? <laughs> was it on VHS tape? Uh, so I was aware of the movie that when it came out, when I it came out in 1984. And I was aware of it because I would go into KB Toys and try to buy Star Wars guys. And you'd uh-huh. see the when you're like, what's this? So I was always aware of it, but I never, ever, I didn't see the movie till I was a little bit older. I want to say 15 or 16. And I saw the movie first and then I read the book and I was blown away by the book after I saw it and was like, oh man, this movie, it tried. It was nice. It was a good attempt, (laughs) but it fell so far short of what the book is. Yeah. For me, I was three days younger than I am now when I saw the first 1984 <laughs> version. Um, so I went like totally, well, not totally out of order, but I read the book. And then a while later, I saw the 2021 version, like we just talked about. And then when I knew we were going to be talking about it, I'm like, I finally have to see this 1984 version. And I feel like that's one of those movies where I, you know, when I was watching it, it actually made me kind of disappointed that I didn't see it when I was younger because I grew up like I grew up with total like sci-fi and fantasy like Star Wars Star Trek never-ending story Willow like all these movies like I just was so into growing up and so I know that this would have been in it and like you said Greg like I remember when it was when it came out and the biggest thing is I grew up listening to Sting and the police with my parents and so I was like Sting's in this but I don't know why I never ended up seeing it. So it was really interesting to see it now, but I did see it after the 2021 version. So, you know, it's, yeah, I definitely like the more recent version better. Um, there's definitely pluses and minuses about the, you know, the 1984. But um, I just, I guess I just feel like if I had watched it then, I would have had more of that kind of sentimental connection to it. But I'm seeing it more as like, you know, recent, obviously. So I see it differently, I think. Yeah. The, the thing about the 84 version is that it tried really hard to be a good movie. And it just, whatever reason, it just whiffed. You know, it was, they yeah. were trying to hit a, they were trying to hit a home run with it. And they, it was a foul tip into the glove, strike three, you're out. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you look at the cast who's in it, it there is a vertical, you know, patch, you know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. So many people. In it. Yeah. Max Van, Max Von, what's his name? Ido. Ido, thank you. Yeah. He's in it for a bit. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously Sting's in it. Um, <laughs> in a very memorable scene in an Iron Song. Really is in it, yes. I mean, they Can really, we, they, they can tried to talk about that at some point? What, the Iron Song? <laughs> like, gotta love yes. the Iron Song. It's like, it's like the chastity belt from Robin Hood Men in Tights. Like, why is he, I don't understand why he is, where, can, can somebody explain this to me? Like either now or some point during, I need an explanation for why. Okay, so is I think he nails it when he said eye candy. <laughs> it's absolutely eye candy. The only thing I can think of is if you think of the Harkonnens in that particular movie, um, his brother, the Beast Ravon. Yeah. Is, they, they have that armor on. Yeah. You think about it. Yeah. They have it that all armor on its pieces. And so that's just the cog piece of that armor that he's wearing. He took it off after a battle. And he's getting a scrub down. He's getting a steam bath in that thing. And then it's just this big entrance. It's sting in his. Yeah, so um, literally that's what it was. It was yeah. the eye candy of the movie. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, what do they, what do they call it, Frank, in the movie? Um, it's, a, it's a beefcake shot. What am I thinking of? 
Um, oh, the money shot. The money, yeah, not that. Yeah, but it's yeah. like one of those. It's like one of the definitions of money shot. Yeah, that's fair. Um, th- that's another name for it. I'm thinking of, but that's the shot. It's just hey, I, and hey, let's be honest. Things look good looking, guy. I mean, I'm not saying he looks bad. Let's let's be real. But I still. This and you think about it, 1984. The police are, you know, at the, are, are verging to the height of their popularity. You know, yeah. so it, that's why he's in it. Um, there we go. Yeah. But that whole movie, there they tried was. really hard and just completely missed. Uh, but it has this. I, I I watch it if it's on. I don't put it on anymore. Um, just basically, I don't have the time. Um, the soundtrack is kind of cool. I dig on that, uh, but it, it's got its own little thing going on. Um, it's not good. It's not bad. It just is what it is. It is its its own thing. Yes. Well, I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. If I had to pick, if I had to single out a few things about the 1984 one that I couldn't help but like, one of the things at the top of the list would be the opening narration of the daughter of the emperor talking into the camera with her head superimposed into space. Yep. Yeah. She's giving all that exposition and she's babbling on dramatically and, then her face fades out slowly and dramatically, but then suddenly mm-hmm. she fades back in quickly and she's like, oh, and another thing. <laughs> but then you have, you know, the introduction of Paul in the 1984 version. You know, he's, you feel like you're at Epcot, you know, with the maps and the arrows and the maps and the screen. So yeah. we microphone voice, like which planet is which and, you know, what's and going given, on. And that's actually, that, that part is actually in the book. It's, uh, uh, th- that part is with him looking at his data tapes and they say that, and it's just a good way. I mean, they do it in the new movie too, when they're talking about, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, when they're, we get the part with the, uh, the hunter seeker and it comes out of the wall. Um, yeah. it, it's, he's doing the same thing. He's doing, they're giving you information that's in the book that we can readily get, but they're giving it to you in the background about what's going on. Right. Uh, in watching that Actually. Scene. Oh, sorry. No, go sorry, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask Greg, actually, did, you know, with Frank just mentioning how the emperor's daughter is the one that narrates in the book, isn't she the one? It's not because in the new movie, it's Chani who starts it off. But in the book, isn't it the princess who isn't she actually the one who kind of tells the story? Or am I not remembering? No, that there's, right? so at the beginning of each chapter in the book, they give a little like expert of the book of Atreides and yeah. they're giving hints about what he's become and this is how he got there. Um, and what this Masonic, you know, in the beginning or delicate time, and they do at the beginning of each chapter, there's different books, like there's a Gurney Halleck, right. there's a, you know, quotes from Gurney Halleck or something like that. Um, so yes, they, they do do a good job of representing that. I don't think the movie was poorly made. It just missed. And I don't know why, but I, like I said, they didn't, you know, they didn't have, they had a who's who of characters, uh, of actors. I'm just looking at yeah. the list right now. Um, Kyle MacLachlan is so, number one, obviously he's, um, <laughs> Uh, uh, David Lynch's um, top star, uh, Virginia Madsen won. I think she won an Oscar for Sideways. Um, yeah, she was fantastic. That's how I knew her. Yes, it, that's just her teenage version. You know, she's 16 or 17 years old. And that Brad Dorf, who is in Lord of the Rings, is Warm Tongues, fantastic actor. Uh, Jose Ferrar in that movie is the padded, is the Emperor Shaddam IV, who is married to Rosemary Clooney and is George Clooney's uncle. Um, I mean, so I mean, it's a very popular it's they they didn't skimp uh you know or, or is it Jurgen Prockdown is Duke Leto Atreides uh Patrick Stewart before he was Captain Picard kind of introduced him to everybody so I, they tried and they just missed and it's just you know I, I have a feeling somebody said you know let's take this movie here's this book that George Lucas cribbed a whole lot of stuff off for Star Wars let's go make a movie and it. <laughs> yeah uh, and I mean they, he does I mean the spice mines and the planet 
Tatooine and Arrakis and, you know, that whole desert wasteland and that whole thing. Um, he definitely lifted a lot from it, you know, as inspiration. And he changed just enough of it not to be able to get sued. Um, yeah. Well, I got to ask this. Does the book have the scene in the beginning of the 1984 version? I don't even know what it was. There was some kind of a thing. I don't know if it was a squid or something. It like comes, it's like, <laughs> this, it's in yeah. some, it's contraption. It's like this the big ass Roomba that just like rolls oh, into the So that's what happens. So, yeah. So yeah. they don't. So all they tell you is, so that's a, that's a um, spice navigator, space navigator. And that is a person who has been extreme to high doses of spice in his body. He's mutated and it, the body has to, he had to go through these regimens of spice in order to be able to fold space. So basically what he's doing is he's taking the, the highliners, the space freighters from one new part of the universe and folding it and transporting it to another part. And you have to do that because you don't have computers so a person's got to do it. So they turn these people into supercomputers. And that's another thing they didn't really get to in the new mm. one. You might have noticed in 1984 and in the 2021 version doesn't really get into it. It's the, the guy, um, Thufer, uh, when his eyes flip back in his head and he's doing the calculation. Yes. Yeah. He's a Mentat and a Mentat is a human computer. Um, mm -hmm. And they just can get all this information readily because they can't put it on computers. Anymore. Um, so the guy in the beginning, yes, it's in the movie. Um, it's in the book. Uh, they, they never describe the length of the mutation. That's up for the. That's up to creative discretion. But yeah, he's freaky looking. Yeah. <laughs> well, as far as the 2021 version, if I had to pick out something that I liked about it, it was the dialogue. There was some choice dialogue in that screenplay. The mystery of life isn't a problem to solve, but a reality to experience. And yeah. Gurney Halleck has a great line when he says, "To shower here in Arrakis, you have to scrub your ass with sand." Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. that kind of that really gets to with the the, the the characters themselves. I gotta go back and look in the book and see if they lifted those those pieces directly, but it definitely gets to the characters as in the book of Gurney Gurney Halleck is this great swordsman. He's a he's a warrior poet, is what it gets down to. And one of the backgrounds in the book that you don't read about is that he has something called a ballast, and it's just a giant guitar, and he sings a song, and he's a, he's always coming up with these lines and but he's also one of the fiercest you know one of the fiercest warriors in the imperium between him and Dino, Di duncan idaho that's it they're the two best he's the sword master of the house of trades there's nobody better between the two okay can i just say that that is the coolest name duncan idaho i know i had to like, change my name like something like duncan idaho would be what i'd go for <laughs> seriously <laughs> i think um what i liked better about the well there's a few things as far as like I don't know if you call them just kind of characteristics or just, you know, the depth of the different characters. I, I liked um, the dynamics better in 2021 between Duncan Idaho and Paul. Like, I just thought there was that nice rapport. Like they had a really good relationship that you could see. Um, yeah. And, and Oh, sorry. No, I, I think it really plays into the part. There's a section in the book that says, you know, Paul Atreides didn't have, any friends growing up, but the two closest mm. people that he did have was Gurney Halleck and Duncan Idaho. And that's it. And that's all they talk about. They did a much better job of showing that, you know, Duncan Idaho is an older brother slash uncle figure to, to Paul. So he, they have a very close relationship. And that kind of shows like, especially at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, when Duncan takes on that, the, the squad of, uh, uh, yep. Adekor, Sadrakar. you know, yeah. and to, you know, basically destroys them but he has to sacrifice mm -hmm. himself which happened in the book um yeah it, it, yeah that it i do makes remember that, that was makes, tough see the problem with that though is when i saw that scene in the trailer and he does the salute where he crosses his chest and then goes to his head i knew it was going to happen so it kind of i don't say it spoiled it for me but it was yeah they did it justice so 
Yeah, that's good. I, I liked that. I also, I did really like the fact that in the 2021 version, um, the female characters were much stronger. I really like the fact that they had uh, for Dr. Kynes, um, they had a black woman play the part. She was so powerful. Um, I loved that. And honestly, the Jessicas in the two movies, I felt were so different. I felt that the one in the original, the 1984 was pretty weak. And in it, I just found that very odd because again, having seen the current movie, but also remembering from the book, I just remember, I mean, like you said, Greg, she was a very, I don't know if you call it successful or powerful or high ranking Bene Gesserit. And so she, and she uses the voice and commands people. And she's, you know, part of this whole idea to improve the bloodline. And I don't know why they chose to make her seem so weak um, in 1984. I think that has to do with the fact is they have half a dozen characters they have to develop over the course of a three hour movie and they have to cram all this story into it because in the 84 version, they go from beginning to end. And with this one, they had the same amount of time, but they only had to tell half the story. The first half of the book, right? Right. So they have a little, I think they have a little more time to do those. Like when they're sitting at breakfast in the morning and she's like, use the voice on me. And she shows, you know, obviously mother son, you know, mother son relationship and they care for each other. But she's a very interesting character in and upon herself, mm-hmm. just with her, um, her, uh, her background about how she was, you know, she wasn't married to the Duke. She was his concubine. Um, mm-hmm. And she was instructed to bear a daughter, but she loved the Duke so much. She went against her sisterhood and gave them a son, which is why you have the pain box in the beginning, because. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. He, he was so powerful. The, the, the sisterhood recognized how powerful he was. And said, you know, we can't let somebody who has this much potential survive if he can't control it. So that's why he put his hand in the box, um, which actually I think the 1984 version did a better version of explaining what was going on than the new one. Um, just from yeah. the terms of when you put your hand in the box and what he was feeling by having the hand dissolve. Um, whereas in this yeah. one, it's just him just gnashing his teeth and agonizing and saying, ah. His hand was like melting off, like right as a lost stock style or something. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And speaking of Paul, did you guys pick up on this or was it just my perspective? But that was my last thing that I really was thinking character wise. It was very different. Although I guess if you call the worm a character, I noticed something a little different too. But, um, but for Paul, I feel like the actor, so Kyle McLaughlin, um, or McLaughlin, sorry, I'm probably mispronouncing that. I feel like in that movie, he, um, he looked older, but I feel like he acted more immature. And I feel like, um, Timothy, how am I going to, I'm going to mispronounce it. Frank, how do I Calame, thank you. Um, fantastic actor. He physically looks younger, but he acted more mature. Um, I just saw those two, uh, to me, those were um, just different ways to interpret that character. Because I know, I believe in the book, he is younger. He's um, 15, 16. But that's kind of what I saw. I think, isn't he? Yeah. I think when, the, when the book yeah. begins, he's 15 or 16 years old. And yep. the book, there is a jump there in the middle of the book, five years. So, I mean, yeah. they didn't miss on the casting on that. Um, and it's, you're not wrong, Liz. I mean, he definitely showed that in the beginning, being naive more than anything. And having mm-hmm. the the, um, the naivety of a, of a child who's been protected and then he gets dropped onto this desert world and you know shows growth to the end when he well i don't want to talk about the end of the 84 because i don't want to spoil 2021 well the thing but about he definitely shows his LMA is that he's just i've seen him in a number of movies mm-hmm. and he has this very distinctive physically and 
behavior. He just has a very distinctive way about him. He just gives off this aura that's he comes across as very erudite, but at the same time, like you said, naive. Mm. You know, sort of like a, a very not kiddish, but you know, young. And yeah, I keep going back to the word naive. Really. Is, I can't think of a better word. Just the way he acts, or is it just one of the tools in his toolbox? I think it's a is tool it, in his what, toolbox because he definitely okay, brought it yeah. with um you know, that was kind of like there was kind of like the dig on Keanu Reeves oh. before he did, you know, before he got a little older is he only had one, one way of acting. It was like, Whoa, dude, you know, that kind of character. And then as he got older, he showed growth. I see that a lot with somebody like Jared Leto, Leto. He only has one gear and that's it. And if it works for the movie, it works, but it got him an Academy Award. So, you know, Mark Wahlberg is like that too. He's the dude from Boston. So I, you know, it is what it is. It would tell, you know, mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood used to hire actors based on what they could do. You know, he didn't hire them to play the orchestra. He hired them to play their instrument. So, you know, everybody has their skill set and they just have it. Yeah. yeah. Well, now is probably a good time to move into the behind the scenes fun facts. So each of us brought on right. one, maybe two fun facts that we can share. So let's do this round robin style. Liz, what do you got? Um, so speaking of Kyle McLaughlin, um, that was his first major uh, or his first motion picture. And that was intentional. So they did want to have an unknown person in that role. So that's how he got his start. Um, another fun fact is that uh, Josh Brolin and Javier Bardem actually starred together in another Oscar winning movie, which was No Country for Old Men. And the fun part of that as well is that in both movies, even though they play, you know, characters that work uh, or are around each other, they actually do not trade any dialogue on set. So in No Country for Old Men, they shared one phone call. So they weren't together on set talking to each other. It was just one phone call. And then in Dune, they're in the room together. But Josh Brolin's character addresses Javier Bardem um, when he comes in as Stilgar. But Stilgar does not reply back. So they actually don't trade dialogue together in either movie. That is cool. And that's a great scene, too. He spits and they say, yes. The the body. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. How about you, Greg? What do you got? Uh, so my fun facts are um, Frank Herbert was out in Oregon watching sand dunes and he was just watching the sand dunes and the, the, the basic, the, the way the, the sand, how it waved and formed and, you know, how could we stabilize this? And he sat there and he watched it. And all of a sudden we have Dune 10 years later, you know, this one little thought in his head, um, just watching sand dunes one day out there all of a sudden poof we have this you know magnum opus of six books that he created before he died um which i think at the time when he before he died was the best-selling sci-fi you know series in history cool yeah um that is cool so the other thing i looked it up just to give you guys some perspective of when the 84 version came out um 1984 do you guys know what the top grossing movie of that year was no but i'm dying to know now Okay, number one was Ghostbusters. Number Stop two, was, it. Number no, I'm not two surprised was, by that. Number two was Indiana Jones, The Temple of Doom. Okay. Wait, wait these three movies came out the same year? I'm going to give you oh, a whole yeah. bunch of movies that came out in 84. I was oh in four of the year. Uh, Gremlins. Wow. Oh, the Karate yeah. Kid. Police Academy. Footloose. Beverly Hills Cop. Star Trek Three. One of my personal favorites, Romancing the Stone, which if you haven't oh, watched it yet, God. I recommend you run out and go see it. It's a fantastic a perfect so adventure good. romance comedy it has everything going for it um 
do not see Jewel of the Nile. It's awful, but Romancing the Stone is, is one of my top <laughs> oh, ten. It wasn't that bad. I mean, it wasn't as good, but it wasn't that bad. Wasn't wasn't some of the other movies that came out in 1984, Purple Rain, The Natural, Revenge of the Nerds, Bachelor Party, Red Dawn, The Terminator uh, came out. Um, and from that point on, we had Arnold wow. all over the place. Uh, the Last right. Starfighter came out. Uh, that was the 26th ranked movie, one of my personal favorites. I could put that on and just the soundtrack alone is awesome. The mm-hmm. Muppets Take Manhattan was came out and I remember seeing that in the theater that year. Um, I think I was that I was five years old uh, and crying my eyes out when they all split up. And <laughs> so all of these movies gross more money than Dune. Dune grossed $30 million that year. And it was wow. the 50, 50 best movie. Um, and some of the movies it beat were just awful. Um, so that's that's just to give you some, some perspective on what 84 was like when this movie came out and what kind of high hopes they had and how just badly it just crashed and burned. But the 2021 version is excellent. I'm looking to see what the sequel. Um, I can't really judge this movie on its... You know, you need the, the second half of this. This is really part one. You need part mm-hmm. two and then put them all together to judge it on its merits. All right. So what I got, both of mine are from 2021. So the first one, Denis Villeneuve, he first came across the book in his school library when he was about 13 or 14 years old. He said he was attracted to the book because of the cover. He said that 80s sci-fi novels had really cool covers. And mm-hmm. he said that he loved the way that the author, Frank Herbert, created ecosystems and depicted their relationship with humanity. And he said, I had to start from scratch building images I've had in my head since I was a teenager. It was by far the biggest technical challenge I've ever done, but I'm still pinching myself that I got a chance to do it. He nailed it. (laughs) That's cool. Mm -hmm. And the second one that I have here for the scene, again, 2021, where the Reverend Mother has Paul's hands in his box. uh, Has Paul hands in the box. (laughs) You know what? I think I'm going to leave that in. (laughs) Uh, moving right along. <laughs> Villeneuve and Chalamet. <laughs> okay. Villeneuve and Chalamet, they worked out how Chalamet would visualize what was going on through his mind in those painful memories when he had his hand inside the box. And they worked it out before the film, before they filmed that scene. They worked it out by talking about the exorcist. Mm. Oh. Okay. Villeneuve said, and I quote, she awakened something dangerous, this heritage that Paul has inside himself. It's like he's possessed by another force that's stronger than him, a force he doesn't understand. Seeing the way he acted that scene, like a scene of possession, I knew I'd made the right choice. Wow. Very interesting. That's cool. I'm glad they didn't show him walking backwards down the stairs upside down because I would have walked out of the theater. (laughs) But they did, though. There was a scene... There's, but there's a scene in that movie where one of the sisters, the, the, she's an emissary from the emperor who shows up. Yeah. And she's like, we're going to commit to you three Harkonnen, uh, three um, Sadakar uh, battalions. There's a thing that's walking on its back, like the, the spider thing that she tells yeah, to get out of the That room. was an actual person. They dressed a person up in a skin suit and had it walk backwards. <laughs> what? Are Whoa. you serious? Yeah. That was a legit ah. real thing. Nah gross well it does i mean you know i don't like spiders anyways but there's, <laughs> there's a creepy. lot of things you don't like Liz. <laughs> no. okay, if you listen is what's going on right now is greg is doing <laughs> hand gestures imitating pan's labyrinth the creature with the eyeballs and the palms of his hands liz oh my God. this is no. your worst nightmare 
yeah, it literally, it literally is. It is the thing of nightmares. And yet it's sitting on my desk at work. Thank you. The little You're statue welcome. that you got me of it. It sits on my desk. Greatest Christmas <laughs> next to Wendy from The Shining. Right next to Wendy and, and the fawn from Pan's Labyrinth. So I got the nice little trio on my work desk every day, every day. So we know what to get you for Christmas every year. It's just those uh, Funko Pop figurines of all your favorite characters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, should get her, we should get her the Baron. No. Oh, we Ooh. didn't even talk about yeah, him. Yeah. We didn't even talk about him. So, okay. So the Baron in both movies, to me, was very different. The 1984 was just, it seemed like he was gross just to be gross. Like I, it seemed like he was this weird hybrid combination of absolutely disgusting and like goofy. Like he was just so, I just couldn't get a grip on what they were trying to do do with him all I know is that it was disgusting like really gross now the 2021 I feel like that I forget the actor's name but I know I can think of like 10 movies right you were talking about this Greg like there's so many people or so many actors in both movies that it's just these famous faces and I love this actor but I felt like in the 2021 version he he was portraying more like intelligence, strength, like he was creepy in the right way and like ruthless, but he seemed sane. And I guess that's what I always thought of from what I could remember from the books. But the 1984 was just kind of, I don't know. So Am the, I... Looks like the cousin of Freddy Krueger. Yeah. <laughs> the so the way yeah. I read it, the, the 1984 version was always he was very eccentric bordering on crazy because he is yeah. the he is he's the baron of um house herconan which is the best way to put it is is if industrialists ran amok for ten thousand years yeah you know, you're very powerful very rich very basically diluted in their own power incredibly corrupted and immoral that's kind of what you get um you, you get the baron kind of acting like a nut job running all over the place um, I didn't always agree with the interpretation of it. Uh, I think the one they did in um, 2021 is closer to the way he, I, I always imagined he would be when I read the book. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to look him up right now um, um, just because it's going to bother me. Um, I can't remember his name. All I can yeah, think of him right so now good. is in, all I can think. going to say it's um, he's yeah, he's in a whole bunch of movies and I just I don't think I've ever known his name. Stellan Skarsgård. Thank you. Thank well, you. Yeah. That's that's the one I had going in my head, but you know, he was also he was in he was in the Marvel the Marvel movies. I mean he was in the know. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yep. He was, yes. he was in the so Hunt for October. I know. I know. And so, so was Duncan Idaho, the act, the nineteen eighty four actor yes, in he was. Idaho. Robert he Jordan. was in the Hunt for Red the Red October. Mm-hmm. So it, I it saw him and I got circle. all excited. Yes. Yep. Um no, but the 2021 version is definitely, it's, in reading the, you know, uh, he comes around as, you know, very cruel, very calculating, um, but his body has betrayed him. And that's why he's on that suspenser rig where he has to mm. float. Um, because he had a run in with a Bene Gesserit sister um, back when he was young. Um, what they don't tell you in the movies, but in the books is that he has a predilection to young boys and he likes to avail himself of them. Um, and he had an interaction with the Bene Gesserit sister and the sister, he, he had his way with her, but she had her revenge by giving him a disease that crippled him. Um, and that's why he floats around and like a big disgusting blob. Uh, I think the 1984 movie does a better job of showing his disease, wasting his body away and having to get treatments. Whereas the one in 2021 just shows him as a man in a fat suit, um, 
having to get treatments, but it is what it is. Um, you know, you make certain choices in movies about what you want to show and what you don't want to show. The, the Harkonnens are basically the Harkonnens are basically the the the. They're, they said, Gurney Halleck said it the best, they are savages. They're near animals. And even everything they do in the books and the movies, they're just awful. They are the, the most corrupt, vile, evil personification of what man can be. And then on the other side, you have the best and most just of us in the, in the House of Atreides, and they get wiped out because they're a threat to the Emperor. Because at the end of the day, it's power and money. Um, and as evolved as we think we might get, some things never change. The, the book's, a, it's a good read, Frank. It is. I'm actually looking forward to reading it again. So let me know when you do. Because <laughs> now I want to know what you think of the book. So I think once the semester ends, I think I'll be taking it with me. <laughs> there you nice. Go. Nice. All right. Well, to wrap things up, each of us brought two trivia questions, one for each of the other two. Again, doing this Red Robin style, doing this Round Robin style. We're not talking about the, the restaurant. <laughs> well, now I'm hungry. Thanks. <laughs> Look up Red Robin Gourmet if you don't have one near you. And what do you have? Who do you want to ask a question of first, Liz? Uh, I'll go with you first. I mean, oh, you God. being the host. Eek. So, I know, right? So, Hans Zimmer, as you know, won the Oscar for um, Best Original Score in the 2021 version of the movie. Do you know who did the music for the 1984 film? Was it Ennio Morricone? So I don't know that name, <laughs> but unless he's a member of a band, is he a member of a band? Because I don't know if. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Greg is wildly gesticulating. I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that he knows the answer. Brian Eno. Is he in a band? Because I don't know that name either. And I don't know all the members of this band. Yes, he is. Um, I have. Do you want I... to tell you who it is? No, then you honestly, can look it up. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now just to double check. Um, I actually own the record. Okay. Well, I can um I can just tell you. So it is Toto who did the music. Oh as in, I knew that I, as in I bless the rains down in Africa. I mean, the song literally starts with like I hear the drums echoing <laughs> tonight, and it's like all I can think of is the thumper. I but saw that in the music. opening credits, and I was thinking to myself, oh, Africa, Toto. Oh, yes. he produced it. Never mind. Yes, it was Toto. Yep. So, um, uh, Greg, are you ready yes. for your question? Okay. So, um, who has very publicly stated that they are actually embarrassed about and they don't want to be associated with the film? David Lynch. Yes. He considers, that's right. it, his one, he considers it his one failure. And anytime he can, he gets his name off as it has it credit, credited by Alan Smithy. There you go. Nice. All right, Greg, stump us. Okay, speaking of David Lynch, what movie did he turn down to direct Dune? Who are you asking? I can ask. I, this is for both you guys. Frank, do you want to go or do you want me to? Ladies first. <laughs> so what did he turn down? Uh, did he turn down, uh, was it Return of the Jedi or one of the he other Star Wars did. movies? He did. He turned down Return of the Jedi. He said, uh, George Lucas said, he told George Lucas, he's like, that's not my thing. You do your thing. That's not my thing. You do Jedi. I do something else. Yay. All right. What's the other one? And Frank gets to go. Frank gets to go. Yeah. Oh, God. So this isn't more of a trivia question, but a, it, it's more of, I want to know what you're thinking about this. If there is one scene 
from the 1984 version that they have to show in the second half of the next movie that they're doing. Okay. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, turn off now if you don't want to know what's going to happen. Is there any particular scene that you would like to see in the next movie? I have two personally that I would like to make sure they do correctly and make sure they're in there. Sting and a Speedo. <laughs> okay, that's fair. So that's a very interesting point is that they haven't introduced that character yet. You know, that character hasn't been introduced into the new version. So dying to see who they cast is that if they make it like an like a, like a a less like a vile evil, like a very charmingly handsome, but utterly corrupt and vile version of Timothy Chalet, Chal- Chalet, or however you pronounce his name. Chalamet. <laughs> Chalamet, thank you. Um, however you, what you're going to do, because they're the two flip sides of the same house, you know, and this is the guy who's supposed to lead the Harkonnens through the next generation once the Baron dies. Who is this actor going to be and who can go toe to toe with him? So it's very, it's a very interesting dynamic. As long as he's hot and topless. I mean, oh my god Liz do you have any do you have any scenes that question for you that you would like to see brought forward um uh, you know what's funny you brought that up because I was thinking of that because I that character um I don't even is it Fayed I couldn't remember that character from the book and obviously it wasn't in the movie uh, sorry, in the 2021, but the character was in the 1984. And so I was trying to remember if that was something they just threw in because they wanted to put Sting in it or if it literally was a character. So I would want to see that. He's um, actually, he's a very important character in the book. Okay. Um, for, reason, for reasons I don't want to get into right now to spoil it. Okay. Um, so I'll have to, when we read the book, Frank, we'll have to yeah, get to yeah. where Greg is now and, and realize who he is. So there was that. But also, um, I think that the part that I would want to see them do, another part, because it was a little confusing. I mean, it's a lot of confusing things. But I think when they were, ha- the whole like having them drink, is it called the water of life? I don't know. Yes. But this whole transition yeah. or how he becomes the thing. And I I would want to know how they do that because I, I have certainly, as you can tell by most of my comments, I certainly like the 2021 version better. I mean, 1984 had its time and it's I appreciate it for what it was, but I'm very interested in seeing what they're able to do with that in this newer version. I don't see how they could get around not doing that particular scene um, because of the plot points to the end of right. the movie. So uh, I, I would be disappointed if they didn't put that in there just from a storytelling standpoint right like however they do it yeah yeah so Which that's one? all i got nice you wants to go first then with the questions i got oh bring okay, it. Go I'll take it i'll take it on first frank go ahead do it here we go what physical feature identifies a mentor or human computer liz do you want this no <laughs> You shall know a mentat by the purple stain of their lips from the juice that they drink. Yes. Ooh, very nice. The nerd or Sappho juice. <laughs> I, know, I couldn't remember the name. Like, I gotta see Greg do this. And they they actually they say this thing. It's like the the the, the quickens the mind. Minds they have a little chant when they're drinking it to help speed up their mind so they can up the computational process. Yeah, like it enhances their mental abilities. Yeah. And Liz, swiveling your way. 
What do the Bene Gesserit use in order to have the mystical seeing ability? They use it by ingesting it after converting it to what they call the water of life. Uh, there's a name for it. <laughs> I don't know. Right, is, there, is there another clue you can give or tell me what it starts with? I probably don't yes. even know what this is. It's a common noun, not a proper noun. Like there's no name for it per se. Oh, I don't know. All right, I'll give you what a kind hint. Of it's one of the bodily fluids. There's phlegm, blood, water, and what's the fourth bodily fluid? What? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know where my mind is going. I grew, I live in a house of all boys. <laughs> okay, Greg, this question is now yours. So, <laughs> yeah, what, what's another bodily fluid besides that? It's like vomit and. <laughs> That, that's it. That's bile. Are you serious? Oh my god! <laughs> it's the bile. Okay. The the question is actually A and B. So it's bile, but who's okay. bile? It'd be the mother, um, mother superior. Oh, it's a sandworm. The sandworm. The sandworm. Oh. The bile from the sandworms. Oh. Kind of a tricky that fall off. I'm like, all the boys in my house, all they talk about is like peeing and puking. So I should have known. <laughs> <laughs> you know the level of maturity in my house is where i'm at paradise every day it is it really is it's a miracle a day it is <laughs> those are good those are hard those are difficult those are very difficult you know what's funny is um actually one of my trivia questions and i had to get rid of it because you actually mentioned it earlier greg because i had like a couple backups because i didn't know like you know, in case there was some something already mentioned, which good thing I had a backup. Um, so my question was going to be for you, Greg, was um, with the worm Shai Hulud having a big impact on the story that there was an actor from the 1984 version who was in a movie from another adaptation of a book and he wasn't a character of a worm. But so who was it? And you already mentioned that actor was Wormtail. Oh, OK. So you did mention it earlier and that's what I was going to ask. Sorry. I'm a wealth of oh oh my god no no you don't need to apologize well that's just it and that's why I had backups I'm like I'm working with people who know a lot of stuff so I need to have some backups all right well Liz Greg this has been a blast and I mean that thank you for taking the time in the middle of the week to come on it's Wednesday night as of this recording so the fact that in the middle of the work week we're doing this next round is on me nice that's what I wanted to hear that's why I did this actually um no but thank you always anytime you need somebody to come on frank i'd be more than happy to help yeah me too we already talked about reuniting once the sequel comes out in a year and a half but uh, i have a feeling we'll be doing this before then i look forward to it and thank you so much what a pleasure this is awesome thank you frank thank you so much for coming on this is again i appreciate it so until next time all right all right have a good night guys see you then All right, so that was my conversation with Liz and Greg on Dune and Dune. I want to thank them both again for coming on the show, and here's to the upcoming sequel. May it make the sandworm crawl. And with that, let's pivot towards the poll results for this episode. So I put out on my socials the following question. What's the most unnerving thing about either one of the Dune films? The four options were the mysterious box from 2021, the sandworm from 1984, the evil baron from 2021, or Sting's unfortunate wardrobe in 1984. 
On Facebook, one went for the box, while the Evil Baron and Sting's Iron Thong both got two each. And on Instagram, another vote for that metal wardrobe. And over on Twitter, once again, Sting's wardrobe was the biggest wonder to behold, getting 60% of the votes, while the Sandworm and the Evil Baron equally split the remaining 40 with 20% each of the votes. Also gotta give a special shout-out to Ian Graham from the podcast Cult Connections, who had this to say, Dean Stockwell's eyebrows. Great mention there, Ian. (laughs) For those of you listening, you may remember that Ian was on this show back in October to talk about the 90th anniversary of Dracula and Frankenstein, the universal film versions, that is. We're working it out now for me to go on his. In the meantime, check out Cult Connections. Thanks to everyone who played along, and keep your eyes open on my socials for the next poll. Just check out the Silver Screeners group on Facebook, or you can follow me on Twitter at FilmBuff1974, as well as Instagram at FrankMandosa1974. Or you can email silverscreenerspod at gmail.com. And that brings us to the trivia segment. And to reiterate, it does not matter when you send in your answer. does not matter what episode you're listening to, however out of order it may be, if it's farther back or if it's the most recent one, answer any trivia question at any time. You'll get a movie-related meme with a personalized greeting and a shout-out in the next episode, no matter what. And I'm always happy to help out if you have anything that you want to promote. Music, a website, a podcast of your own, a book, just say the word. And as I always like to confirm, I don't want to take the liberty of announcing both first and last names if it makes anyone feel uncomfortable, which is why I always do first name and last initial. But if you say otherwise, then full names it is. So last time I had on the show Brendan Manning, who, among many other accomplishments, was a footman in the pilot episode of the HBO Max series The Gilded Age. It was great to catch up with him. And remember, you can check out his independent filmmaking on his YouTube channel, Make the Line Films. That's Make hyphen the hyphen line films. To acknowledge the series whose fictional universe he is now a part of, the following trivia question was put out there for mass consumption. The Gilded Age stars Christine Baranski as Agnes Van Ryan. Baranski sang and danced to a number of ABBA songs with Meryl Streep and Julie Walters in what 2008 film version of a stage musical? And the answer is Mamma Mia! A big booyah and huzzah to the following listeners who sent in their answers. First, two return winners, Ed R. and Mary C. Thank you both for continuing to listen and for doing the trivia as often as you do. Very much appreciated. We also got Jason Ebbs, a musician who's got a couple of great albums out. His new single, Undone, just dropped in the past week or so. You definitely want to listen to his stuff. His music is really, really good. That's Jason Ebbs, E-B-B-S. And last but not least, there's Chris from The Movie Psycho, who (laughs) answered the question with this. Mamma mia, what a question. Check out his show, The Movie Psycho. Thanks one and all, and movie-themed memes are on their way. And a belated shout-out goes to Mary C., who answered the trivia question from two episodes ago. The one about who hosted the Oscars the most number of times, but for some reason was not on the list when I recorded last time, so I apologize for that, Mary. You've been a regular listener for so long now, I don't know what happened, but thank you for playing. You're cool. And now it's time for this week's trivia question. Denis Villeneuve directed the 2021 version of Dune, what philosophical film, cleverly disguised as a sci-fi thriller, stars Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and Forrest Whitaker? He directed it. She plays a professor of linguistics who's recruited by the government to communicate with extraterrestrials who've arrived on Earth. Name this 2016 film. 
Send your answers on over, and as always, if you have any follow-up questions, have any comments, or anything from today's episode, any episode you've listened to, hit me up on my socials. Once again, FilmBuff1974 on Twitter, the film group Silver Screen is on Facebook, Frank Mendoza 1974 on Instagram, or simply email silverscreenispod at gmail.com. And that wraps up episode 48. Thank you, as always, for taking the time to listen. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already, and I'd be eternal in your debt if you could take just a second to rate and or review this show on Apple, Google, Spotify, iTunes, Good Pods, wherever you're listening to your podcasts. It's always a help in terms of boosting the show's visibility. I'm always happy to get honest feedback, open to suggestions for future episodes. So, my name is Frank, wishing you good health, good weather, and good movies. And until next time, keep on screening. And I leave you now with the soothing sounds of the deadly sandworm on the planet Arrakis.